0: Moonlight Network presents Football Time. Hey, and welcome to the Football Time Show. We're here with our man Achilles Rain to break down the conference championship games. That were quite uh, the showdown and uh, quite the ending. Our man, it took a week. For him to come down off the emotional high that was the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, The emotional low as well, I must say, for the uh, first uh, three and a half quarters there. Possibly three and three-fourths quarters there. But uh, nonetheless, our man Achilles' reign has been floating on cloud nine all week. So we're here to break down the games. Uh, Are you ready to get into the games?
1: Yeah, I'm ready, man. You know, unfortunately I had a little bit of a uh, remodeling to do here at the, uh, at the, uh, Achilles studio, so to speak. But, uh, for some reason I'm still pumped, man. I'm still pumped about the last week's games and I'm ready to get into it.
0: Well, uh, I I'm still breaking down the Pro Bowl skills challenge. So, uh, <laughs> I don't know if I'll remember what went down uh, over the weekend, but. Uh, don't
1: worry. I've got notes. So we'll, if you we'll want to get
0: into the fastest 40 time, as uh, all those guys were dressed in uh, 15 parkas because none of them wanted to hurt themselves, uh, except for uh, Micah Parsons, who uh, took it like uh, there was an Olympic trial uh, taking place and uh, thinking he was in a gold medal race. But uh, let's first get into some uh, sort of NFL business. A lot of coaching hires since. Uh, we last talked uh, let's start off with the uh, let's start off with the Chicago Bears uh, I, I must say most of these uh, coaching hires I, I'm not gonna lie a uh, little uh, uninspiring now I, I don't know if, if that's totally shocking we talked about it you know a, a couple weeks ago about really which of these uh sort of franchises would you think would be a good one to go to i, I don't think we really had a, a great great answer overall none of them were all that great and uh, i i think some of these hires not really pulling bull big names into their franchises probably sort of shows that
1: yeah i mean listen there's definitely been some moves where um some people are probably left scratching their heads uh whether it's uh, hiring coordinators, hiring young guys or hiring guys that uh, don't quite have, uh, you know, the track record uh, of success. But uh, listen, you know, we've seen coaches that we probably don't expect to have success uh, come out of nowhere and uh, really light this league up. So uh, it feels like we're turning the page as far as uh, players and coaches go. Uh, and we're kind of uh, shifting into a new era. So I, I think it's going to be interesting. But, uh, yeah, let's let's get to the coaches.
0: Yeah. You uh can't start hedging your bets with uh, Zach Taylor and putting him on the uh, coaching pedestal uh, just yet. So in case you lose, you you think you've lost to the next Bill Belichick. Uh, I, I think you'll find in time you probably lost to the uh, next Mike McCarthy. But uh, nonetheless, let's get to the Chicago Pairs. Uh, Matt Eberflus, uh, the uh, defensive coordinator for the Indianapolis Colts, gets hired here. I, I think this sort of started out as the uh, sort of questionable hires. I don't want to say questionable hires. It's just, it's not a splashy name. Uh, I don't think anybody even really was putting him as one of those sort of uh, guys that were really at the top of the uh, sort of young guy list, uh, you know, and he's certainly not an experienced, you know, uh, sort of coordinator like a a Dan Quinn, you know, coming out of uh, Dallas, uh, formerly of the Atlanta Falcons as a head coach. And I think once they hired their, uh, you know, GM, Ryan Poles, who was, you know, sort of in the Chiefs organization, you thought maybe they'd start to pull like an Eric Biennemi, Uh, But then I, I started to question that. Uh, how many times do you want to go to the uh, Chiefs offensive coordinator well there and uh, come up dry unless you're actually hiring Andy Reid there? But uh, I, I must say, I, I really thought this was an uninventful hire. I, I mean... Don't get me wrong. The Colts defense was a solid defense, but I don't think it left you or I all year long going, "Wow, they're doing really impressive sort of things on the defensive side of the ball." This guy might turn into a great coach, but you mix this sort of a uh, you know defensive pedigree here with uh, sort of Justin Fields, who you need to develop. Eh. And train here. I just didn't quite understand this hire uh, overall. I, I thought you'd go a little bit more offensive here, even if the uh, last one sort of blew up in your face. I uh, listen. I
1: I know that it's not a flashy hire, and you know, uh, I know that it's not going to steal headlines here. But I I think it's kind of a nice change of pace. Uh, especially when you look at what they got from Matt Nagy, who's supposed to be an offensive minded coach, so to speak. Um, They didn't get much in terms of development. They didn't get much in terms of offense. Um, But one thing that this Bears team does have that I've really liked pretty much all season long. And I talked about it uh, quite a few times is they got some nice key pieces on defense. And I think that getting a guy who's had success uh, defensively, at least um, might, you know, bring this, this defense to, more of a, of a Chicago bear standard defense. Now, I don't think they're going to be quite the monster of the midway, so to speak, but you know, maybe it, it improves them to the point where um, they'll at least become relevant defensively. But I, I gotta say, I've always, you know, it kind of gives me pause a little bit whenever uh, there's a higher a hiring for a defensive coordinator. Uh, I'm not a huge fan. In my opinion, hiring a defensive coordinator doesn't translate well um, into the, into like, you know, a, Uh, as far as that coaching goes into a team that was pretty anemic when it comes to offense uh, to begin with. So uh, a little concerning, but I got to say that as far as defensive coordinators are concerned um, and ones that were available, I thought that they did a pretty good job going after a guy they liked that probably wasn't getting uh, a lot of attention.
0: Yeah. I, I think my more concern here is more, okay, you hire this guy who's a limited experience defensive coordinator to come run your team. Uh, and you're trying to develop, you know, a quarterback who I don't want to say is raw, but uh, certainly has, you know, uh, a lot of learning uh, to do. So you go, maybe you bring an experienced, you know, sort of veteran offensive coordinator to help you, you know, run things, and they bring in Luke Getze. I, I know I'm getting a little deep here, uh, you know, when we're starting talking about, you know, offensive coordinator hires, uh, but this guy isn't even. An offensive coordinator. He he doesn't have offensive coordinator experience. He was the QB and passing game coach for the Green Bay Packers. I I mean, I'm sorry, but uh, I think you could probably pick up your random bum off the street and he could be a solid QB coach for the Green Bay Packers. I mean, how hard is it to run that room when Aaron Rodgers is your quarterback here? So, I I don't know. It it just seems like a lot of inexperienced, you know, new guys uh, that when you're trying to sort of develop an offense and a quarterback, it, it seems, eh, I don't know. It, it Honestly, it just seems like the Chicago Bears team went the cheapest route it could, you know, uh, not break the bank for any of these coaches, which, you know, uh, is sort of the Chicago Bears way. They've never been a team that's, you know, thrown tons and tons of money at guys. But uh, I look at this and it, it just screams... We want, uh, you know, low-level, you know, coaching uh, salary hires here, and we hope we hit a lotto-ticket sort of hires.
1: Well, listen, you know, not not to spend too much time here on the Chicago Bears head coaching signing, uh, especially, you know, after we just had uh, conference championship weekend and we got the Pro Bowl coming up and we got the Super Bowl coming up, um, but – I will say this at some point we have to start going away from these older, you know, coaches, yeah. uh, that we've had basically, uh, on pretty much cycle, uh, or shuffle, so to speak in the NFL. And and you got to start getting some new, some new young blood. Now, realistically speaking, we don't really know how it's going to work out until it actually pans out and we see how it turns out. But, you know, you look at a guy like Sean McVay who used to be a tight ends coach. <laughs> I mean, the guy was coaching tight ends, uh, and I'm sure that if you ask people at the time as much as people might've liked him, they probably weren't, uh, you know, extremely psyched about him becoming a head coach anytime soon. And you look at what he's done. He's uh, led his team to two different super bowls. And, uh, you know, potentially, uh, he's on the, on the cusp of possibly winning one. So we never know till it all pans out. And I'm not saying that he's going to be the next Sean McVay because Sean McVay's in his thirties and this guy's 51 years old, if I'm not mistaken. So, um, definitely leaves a little to be desired, you know, but, um, again, we won't know until it pans out. I think that as far as the philosophy goes for the Chicago bears, they're more set in my opinion on defense and offense. So why not bring in a defensive minded coach?
0: Yeah. All right. Uh, we'll move on to the Denver Broncos. And I, I think we both uh, sort of talked about uh, this a little bit. And, uh, then, you know, two days ago, the, uh, the official announcement that the Denver Broncos, uh, were going up for sale and, uh, I think that sort of paved the way. Uh, I know uh, Jerry Jones had said Dan Quinn had offers. Uh, I, I was and, and he turned them down. I, I was very much wondering if this was. One of those offers that he turned out because I, I just looked at it that any sort of veteran coach that knows his place knows you. You sort of don't walk in to a situation where new ownership is coming in there. Uh, we'll get to that with the Jacksonville Jaguars, uh, you know, higher here in a little bit. So, you know, they went and got Nathaniel Hackett. Uh, you know, he was the uh, Green Bay offensive coordinator once again. Uh
1: uh, listen, I'm right there with you. You don't even have to go into detail about it, and and I've talked about this countless times. Is
0: I guess how you much weight throw stone that you know Aaron Rodgers will come there? Yeah,
1: And you know that's possibly what everybody's thinking is this guy was hired to kind of sweeten the uh, the incentives of Aaron Rodgers coming to town. Now, you know, last season, uh, we didn't really talk too much about it, but uh, I believe that the report started coming out this year that the Broncos were basically the team that was offering the most to earn the right to get Aaron Rodgers uh, in a trade. Um, and it just didn't come into, fru- into fruition, but maybe this is what they think will kind of sweeten the pot. If Aaron Rodgers does happen to either leave uh, Green Bay or uh, if they trade him, So I don't know, you know, I'm one of those people that believe that uh, uh, sometimes coaches uh, get put on a pedestal when in reality, it's the players that are uh, making them look good. Um,
0: I think uh, we'll come to that conclusion. The uh, 49ers Rams game. As both uh, coaches were trying to burn down the asylum, I think on uh, conference championship Sunday.
1: But listen, as far as, as far as coaching those, uh, again, you know, you got another, young guy who's obviously had some success. Now, obviously you, you, uh, uh, you put that, you put a lot of that success on Aaron Rodgers' shoulders, realistically speaking. Um, but again, we don't know, maybe this guy's like an actual genius when it comes to uh, offense and football. Uh, and we just haven't really had a chance to see it because we just assume it's all Aaron Rodgers. but we'll see.
0: Yeah. Uh, the, the other thing, you know, that gives you pause is they're coming off scoring 10 points in the uh, the uh, divisional round. So uh, I, I don't know listen, I, <laughs> in their
1: in their defense, in the defense of all cheeseheads, uh, you know, across uh, Wisconsin and, and everywhere else or maybe uh, it was bad weather. And that 49ers defense is no joke.
0: Are, are we expecting good weather in Denver? listen i'm trying to i'm trying to keep things light and positive here you're making it really hard i know i'm uh being a troll today i was on facebook trolling a bunch of jordan haters earlier so uh they were we're in a mood all right uh we'll go to a higher than i'm actually pretty intrigued by uh i i it's sort of a sink or swim one here uh jocks mcdaniel's uh Gets his second chance uh, to run a football team here. The Las Vegas Raiders uh, went out, uh, you know, threw an offer at Josh McDaniels. He accepted it. What do you make of this hire? Uh, I, I kind of like this hire. I, I'm interested to see if he learns anything from his Denver Broncos stint. I, I didn't think he was that bad at the Denver Broncos. Probably a little young and arrogant. But uh, I, I think this is a pretty good hire uh, for the Las Vegas Raiders here Um and if I was probably rating a uh, coaching hires so far, uh, this would probably be my number one on the list.
1: You see, and that's where we defer a little bit. I, I'm not a huge fan of this hiring and listen, I'm not saying that it's not going to work out and I hope it works out for Raider nation, you know, uh, because they, after the season they've had, they definitely deserve a, you know, a little bit of an easier time as far as uh, distractions on and off the field, especially when it comes to the, uh, the head coach position. But, um, the reason I don't like it is because one, everyone's the talking points as far as him in Denver were that he was too young. He wasn't ready. uh, He wasn't quite ready to be a head coach. And I've heard all that. Okay. But after he left Denver, he had a couple stints here and there where he was an offensive coordinator for a couple different teams. One of those teams just happened to be the Rams. And let me just tell you, this guy, as talented as he might be, as, as, uh, as, as, not i'm not going to call him a genius but as as prolific as his uh offensive mind has become uh, in circles in the nfl i don't think he did much to change the culture in the in in st louis i believe those they were still in st louis when that happened um and i just don't know it seems like the only time he's really had success has been under bell belichick uh and it's probably the reason why he went back to to uh to coach in new england and now listen, I could be completely wrong. I could just have a, a sour taste in my mouth, you know, uh, from his stint with the Rams. But I, I again, I'd, I'd have to see a complete turnaround. I think that you know, um, after the whole fiasco with with Gruden, I don't think you can do much worse. But I think that the expectations are also going to be high, just based off how the team performed uh, post the Gruden era. So I, I don't know. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep a close eye on this team see how things work out. But personally, I think that it probably wasn't the best hire.
0: Yeah. Uh, the only thing I, I would say negative is it, it seems like a lot of those guys wanted Rich uh, to come back. Uh, we talked about it uh, after they didn't give him that offer right away. I think we both, both knew Rich wasn't going to come back. Uh, uh, and then uh, I guess pandering, Josh said uh, he'd love to have him back as a special teams coordinator. I don't know. That seems uh, – half genuine and half dickish after you've been a intramed coach. Why didn't you come back and be the special teams coordinator? Uh, But I like the hire. Uh, I I think it sort of fits in uh, with the Vegas and their offensive system uh, that they ran. And I'm just curious how he handles uh, this one. Uh, You know, I I get that, you know, his only real success has been with the Patriots. Uh, Hopefully he won't be using a first round pick on Tim Tebow. Uh, this time around uh that being said uh tim won 10 games in a playoff game uh so. that's what i was gonna say it,
1: it tim was part of the reason why he had success as a head coach if any
0: all right uh we'll move on to the next one uh and your uh rams uh continue to get poached uh i, I get a little confused by this these offensive every year man <laughs> every year uh they keep hiring them i i don't know if they know that They don't actually call the plays for the Rams, Sean McVay calls them. Uh, So I I don't quite know uh, what their true position is as offensive coordinator other than helping to game plan. But uh, that being said, uh, I'm a Kevin O'Connell guy. I I liked him as a quarterback when he was at San Diego State. I think he's a really, really smart guy. Uh, But once again, this just seems it was Jim Harbaugh or Kevin O'Connell. I just I get a little confused at the massive swing there. You go from a proven coach who's made a Super Bowl and numerous conference championships and, you know, a high level on the pay scale coach uh, to a guy who basically has one year of offensive coordinating experience and never even called the his own place in the game. That's not to say he can't. It's just... You have one enter the spectrum to the total opposite. There's doesn't seem to be a middle ground there for the Minnesota Vikings.
1: Well, listen, it's like I said a little while ago. I think that we're transitioning, and we see it with you know the faces of the league uh, with the Tom Brady's and possibly even the Aaron Rodgers and the Drew Breeses, uh, you know, they're all starting to step away from the game and it's also happening with the coaching. You know, I I remember uh, some of the coaches that are currently analysts and uh, uh, at some of the big networks like the NFL network and uh, ESPN and Fox sports and all that. um, I I remember them being head coaches and I remember thinking to myself, like, when is this guy going to get a call? You know, like a coward, like uh, when are they going to get calls to, for head coaching position? But it seems like, We've gone through a transition before and it seems like we're going through another one now. Um, you made the joke last season and a couple of years ago when uh, the hot ticket to hot commodities were anybody who's had any contact with Sean McVay. Um, and I actually heard that in the, on the radio this morning. Uh, they were saying that if you've had a conversation with Sean McVay, uh, you could probably get a head coaching job somewhere. Um, <clears throat> I, listen, I understand that there's not a lot of experience here, and uh, there's also a huge discrepancy between what you were looking at, Jim Harbaugh, who's, uh, in my opinion, a really good coach who um, has had success both in college and in the pros, um, and then you got a guy who's also not as experienced. So this, the discrepancies are huge, but I just think we're going through a transitional period here with coaching and with players, and I just think this is part of it. Uh, so it, as much as some of us older guys are going to cringe at this. Um, I think that, you know, getting some new blood in there is ultimately good for the long run uh, when it comes to the NFL.
0: Well, uh, you don't really have to worry because I'm going to complain about old retreads uh, next coming up and the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars, and we'll probably make a sort of three-point segment uh, style into this. Uh, you know, all indications were Byron Leftwich had the job, Uh he wanted to bring in a guy uh, to sort of, you know, help be the understudy slash, you know, GM for uh, Trent Bulky, who I, I think he sort of read the tea leaves there that, you know, the next one can't out of the Jacksonville Jaguars system is probably Trent Bulky, And uh, if you're a head coach, the thing you don't need is the uh, GM... <laughs> Uh, Basically to be fired because then a new GM comes in and you're the one getting fired next up. So, you know, I I sort of understand that, uh, but I sort of understand the Jags, you know, like you aren't telling us, you know, to bring in a GM for you here. But uh, so they go to Doug Peterson, Um, you know, he, he does have a Super Bowl. That's always the first thing they say. Super Bowl winning coach, Doug Peterson. Uh but I, I stare at that Super Bowl year and then I stare at the, you know, two years after and two years before. And it's uh basically uh meh sort of nine and seven uh uneventful uh sort of spree here. So uh I don't know. It 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 just looks like once again they're sort of failing Trevor Lawrence here. Uh maybe, you know, uh, it, it works out, but uh I, I'm not in love with this retread hire either. I don't know what hire I'm okay with, uh, but uh, it doesn't seem like the new guys or the old guys. But uh, anyway, uh, what'd you make of the Jags hire here?
1: Listen, I wasn't crazy about it, uh, especially because I've got my um, my personal uh, you know, feelings of, of Doug Peterson's tenure with like the Eagles, for example. And I'll be honest with you. I think that this hire is more of a, you know, developmental type of uh, hiring. Um, I think that they could probably, that they think that they, Doug Peterson, can get the best, you know, out of their young quarterback. Um, you look at, you know, the whole Carson Wentz situation. I know Carson Wentz wasn't great, but when he was under Doug Peterson, especially early on, there was a lot of success there. Uh, a lot of people had him as the front runner for the MVP that year. You know, of course, he gets hurt and the backup comes in. And what does the backup do? He leads him to a Super Bowl and ends up winning a Super Bowl. So, I think it's more about the developmental process with that. Uh, I don't think that they're looking at him and this is going to be the guy that's going to lead us to the promise line, because I don't think even they, even he believes that. So I'm not putting too much weight on this. I think this is more of a, let's try to develop this, this young quarterback that we've got uh, because we've done him a disservice so far, you know, in his first season. Uh, And really, can you do any worse than Urban Meyer? I mean, realistically.
0: Uh, well, uh, probably so, uh, there are probably a handful of guys, uh, sitting out there, uh, hovering around that are worse. Um, all right, we'll transition to the New York Giants and their hire here, and then we'll sort of spin it off, because uh, it sort of tipped off what the big story, uh, you know, was all week. This week, uh, we'll get into first just the higher overall New York Giants, uh, hire Brian Dabble of the young guys, uh, at least this is one I liked. He, you know, has experience calling plays in college. He has experience calling plays in the NFL. He's been successful in developing quarterbacks. You know, there's at least a track record there of at least some assistant coach success. Uh, But then I question why the hell he would want this job. Uh, You know, uh... I mean, honestly, I think I'd rather be the offensive coordinator of the Buffalo Bills than the head coach of the New York Giants. Uh, that organization is, me- is a mess. And, you know, uh, judging just by what went on this week uh, with them, we'll get into it in a second. But I-, I think it's a good hire, but I don't think this is a good situation. And it's just sort of you're going into a, a freaking dumpster fire here. I don't love the situation he's going in and I think it could damage him, you know, as a head coach here.
1: Well, listen, it's definitely not the most ideal situation uh, as far as, you know, kind of getting started with your head coaching career, but uh, listen, there's definitely worse situations to be in out there for your first head coaching position. But I think this was more about him trying to establish himself as a head coach candidate, uh, not just, you know, for this team, but, possibly in the future as well. Uh, you look at this team and, and how poorly they've played. Um, a lot of it has to do with, you know, just development and also there, there seems to be a complete overhaul in that locker room. Um, as far as like, you know, training staff and, and medical staff and all that is concerned because you're talking about a team that's been plagued with injuries basically over the last two, three years. Um, and now you've got a situation where you've got a guy who's had some success. You know, he did spend some time under Bill Belichick. He's had some time with Nick Saban. So he's had uh, the, that aura of, of, you know, greatness around him. And I guess the hope is that, you know, some of it has instilled in, in his coaching ways and his coaching philosophy. And if that's the case, then listen, it's not crazy to say that he could turn this team around to be competitive, you know, um, overnight, it's Unlikely, but it's not crazy to say we've seen crazier scenarios where teams come from from complete you know obscurity to uh, being complete contenders next season. That's not what's going to happen here. I don't think they have the personnel to do so. But I, I do think that you know bringing some sort of like uh, aura, uh, uh, so to speak, the guy you know the the type that Bill Belichick and Nick Saban kind of walk around with that swagger. Uh, I think it does help a franchise, especially one that really has no identity. So I, I like the hire. I think that this is probably one of the better hires in my opinion, um, because you really can't lose much. You know, you only have uh, you can only gain in, in this situation. So I, I like the situation for him. I, I'm glad that he got his foot in the door finally. And uh, I just don't think that it's going to work out quite as well as, as people might hope, but as far as uh you know, how things could have worked out. I think that this is probably as good as it's going to get.
0: Yeah. uh, You know, uh, we'll we'll get into it now, but you you just walk into a bad, just sort of franchise front office situation, uh, which led to the lawsuit by Brian Flores, which really sort of got kicked off Well, I I mean, lots of things preceding it, uh, but I think the sort of final straw that sort of pissed off Brian Flores is he got the email text message from Bill Belichick uh, sort of congratulating him on uh, getting the job, except it was the wrong Brian. It was Darbell who got the job. Uh, The problem comes that uh, the Giants uh, had scheduled uh, Flores to uh, come in for an interview two days later. Um, I don't know quite how that works out. You come in and interview for a job that's no longer open. Uh, But, uh, you know, that's what sort of really, I think, fired off this lawsuit uh, by Brian Flores here. And it does no favors to Brian Dabble walking into this situation. And now you have this lawsuit with probably, I, I think both you and I agreed, you know, take Sean Payton out of the situation here. I think the best coach on the market, maybe outside of Jim Harbaugh, who, you know, was sort of always 50-50 on the market. Uh, I think Flores was the sort of best, you know, coaching free agent hire here. And and now we got it tied up in a lawsuit here that's uh, just uh, hopefully going to be a mess for the league because I I pretty much like when the uh, league uh, just looks like jackasses that they really are.
1: Yeah, listen. This whole Brian, this whole you know, it's it's a complicated situation, and there's so many different spectrums when it comes to where you stand on this on this issue. Um, you know, I think the big issue with him was the fact that, as you mentioned, he had an interview lined up, um, yet he got a text that someone's been hired. Now, you know, put yourself in the, in that situation. You know, you're applying for a job, and um, you've got an interview lined up and you're really excited about it, you're preparing, you know, you're getting yourself ready, you got your, you know, your suit pressed and, you know, you made sure that you're well-groomed and and you've canceled appointments for that day so that you can go and take care of this interview and hopefully land this job that you're obviously excited about. Otherwise you wouldn't be interviewing for it. And then you find out, Hey, you know, I know your interviews in a couple of days, but someone else has been hired already. Um, And what starts playing in your mind is, The only reason I'm getting interviewed is to satisfy the Rooney rule. So I think that's probably the bigger issue here is, you know, addressing the the Rooney rule and how these rules are set up because like I said, there's so many different spectrums and I don't really want to, you know, fall on either side of the fence here, but uh, I'll just kind of give my, my view on it, uh, you know, really quick. When you force somebody to have to do something, uh, to kind of, you know, just to to basically meet the criteria for a rule that you've implemented. And that's really not the way that they're planning on going. This is the type of scenario that you're going to end up with. Um, I think that they had it already in their minds that this is a guy we want. This is the guy that we think is going to help our, our, um, our team the best, our franchise the best. Now, that's not to say that Brian Flores is a bad coach you know, he's obviously got a reputation about, you know, being kind of a standoffish and, you know, not wanting to work with people or basically not willing to, to, you know, bow his head and, and follow, follow the rules. He kind of, you know, uh, goes to the beat of his own drum, so to speak. And when you force somebody to, you know, interview people that they don't really want to hire, it's a disservice to not just the franchise, but also the coaches that are interviewing for that position because, who knows? They could have had something else lined up for that particular day. And now they've gone and canceled it because they thought this position was more lucrative or whatever it may be. So there's got to be something that's that comes out of this whole situation. I don't think that there's going to be, you know, a, a huge uh, payout here or anything like that, because, you know, the NFL has some of the best lawyers. You're talking about some of the richest people in the world um, that are, you know, part of this, of this league. So I don't think much is going to come out of it. But I do think that at least at the very least, It should make people really look at this whole Rooney rule situation and and address it probably in a different manner. Um, I I don't know how you'd go about it. I don't have the answers, but uh, we'll see what happens.
0: Yeah. Uh, You know, it just opens interesting because I'm in favor and I'm not in favor of uh, sort of the Rooney rule. I I do think you have to have something in place uh, here that everybody gets an opportunity to hire. And, you know, the best thing at that point in time was the Rooney rule that comes out. But, you know, private entities, I'm also, they can hire whoever they want. The problem sort of becomes that these aren't really private entities. Uh, They're entities that, you know, all their stadiums are subsidized by the government and such. Uh, Not all, baby. Not all. But they get tax breaks off of it as well. That's, you know, it. everybody gets something. And, and, you know, you even look back to, like, the Rams, and this is going way, way back and really, really deep. Uh, but in the 1930s, it, it wasn't a rule that you couldn't have, uh, you know, like uh, African, uh, African-American players on your rosters. It was just sort of uh, spoken uh, between the owners that they wouldn't hire them. And then in the 1940s, uh, the Rams played in the Coliseum, and it was a government subsidized thing. And they made a rule that if the Rams wanted to play there, they had to. They had to. <laughs> Open it up. And then, you know, the same thing sort of came into play with the Redskins. Uh, I know shocking the uh, last team to actually uh, hire an African American uh, player, uh, judging by the nickname. I, I know it comes as a stunning thing, uh, but Washington, D.C. had to threaten them with, you can't use uh, our stuff on government subsidized land uh, unless you start being equal. And that's where I, I think it gets you know, a little jumbled, you want to be a private organization and fund your own stadium and have your own land and not collect stuff off the United States of America, where everybody is created equal. That's fine. That's the way you go about it. And you can hire whoever the hell you want. But if you're going to use that and then use government subsidies to fund your stadium, so you make more profit, then rules need to be in place to make sure everybody gets sort of an equal opportunity here. Uh, I don't love the Rooney rule. But I also think it's somewhat necessary because I, you know, I probably 28 28 of the 30 teams I don't even think would even look at, you know, African-American candidates, you know, 98% of the time or any, you know, minority candidates. So it's a whole can of worms. Uh, Maybe uh, I'll send you the 56-page brief. We'll read it, and uh, that'll be a show for uh, the end of February or something.
1: Listen, you know it's 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 one of those things that it's probably the last thing that we really want to touch on, you know, especially when you're talking about uh, just a sports show that we do here, where yeah. we just kind of give our opinions here, you know, because realistically speaking, our our opinions probably matter very little to to those that are out there watching, uh, but it it is a it is a, an actual issue in our society in our country that we have to deal with, and and not just you know people considered minorities, you yeah. know it's people that also are financially challenged as well. Yes, it's, it's not necessarily point. just, you know, brown people or black people, or, you know, it's, it's also white people as well that are disenfranchised. And again, this is a very touchy subject and, and it's really tough for us to kind of really talk about it because you end up putting yourself on one side of the fence and offending other people. And that's not what we're here to do. We're here to bring everybody together, talk football, which is, you know, one of the most uh, unifying sports that there is in our country. And and that's what we're here to do. We're here to bring people together, but we will talk about issues that pop up like this. Um, It's unfortunate that it worked out this way, but hopefully, like we said, something gets uh, worked out out of this, and maybe they can find a way to improve on this Rooney
0: rule. Yeah, definitely so. All right, let's get into the games here. Kansas City Chiefs, uh, Cincinnati Bengals. uh, You know, uh, Before I I break down here, I I think really sort of two plays altered both these games here in huge, huge ways. It, it, you know, sort of changed pretty much everything and and changed essentially whole storylines, you know, for somebody like Matthew Stafford or Sean McVay, uh, somebody like, uh, you know, Patrick Mahomes here, who at, at, you know, right before halftime uh, was basically... uh, throwing maybe the uh, most perfect quarterback game we've ever seen and uh you know one little play in, in each of those uh sort of uh, i think really really helped flip now other things led to it but i, I really do think you know one play in both of these games really led flip and uh bingles chiefs um chiefs just came out you know like game busters looked Way, way, way above class than the Cincinnati Bengals. Much like the first game they played, uh, Chiefs were going up and down the field, uh, and then right before you know halftime, P Ryan probably Blake breaks the biggest screen pass in Cincinnati Bengals history because. You know, that game's lost if he doesn't hit uh, basically that 41-yard screen pass for a touchdown. The Bengals were going nowhere. The game becomes 21-10. Uh, but then I want to talk about the play that I think really, really flipped this thing. Right before half. Right before half. You know, Bengals punt the ball. I think I looked to you and I was like, I think they gave the Chiefs too much time here. Chiefs go right down, get down to the five, work this clock beautifully. Uh Missed two red zone plays, which, you know, uh, you know, it, it comes into play also at the end of the game. And then for, you know, I, I don't totally mind the going for it on third down with five seconds left.
1: I do. <laughs> uh,
0: I, I know you do. Um, but I do mind the playing call. That's just got to be, you know, uh, probably a quick slant to Kelsey. It's either there or not there. You still probably have time to kick the field goal. Uh, You know, I, I think this is where sort of Patrick Mahomes started to lose his head. Now, why he threw a, a swing pass in the field of play when two and a half guys are sitting there on Tyreek Hill, I don't know. Uh, we, we spoke a lot this year about the arrogance of the Kansas City Chiefs, and, you know, that play looked arrogant. I can get into their head and say, yeah, they're going to get the ball back, you know, at the start of half. This play doesn't matter, but... uh I thought it really, really mattered. And that's just got to be a pass in the end zone. And Patrick Mahomes did not look right from that play on.
1: Yeah. Listen, you know, it, it was a huge momentum swing and I listen, I, I know that I said, I, I do mind that play, but in reality, I really don't even as conservative as I am. And I like my teams to play conservative. Um, I don't hate the call. I just hate the play call. And, and, as you mentioned it to, you know, if you're going to take a shot with five seconds left on the clock, take a shot into the end zone or, or throw it out. Uh, Cause to throw it, you know, basically uh, outside, outside the hash marks in play, you know, like was it two, three, two, three uh, yards before the end zone. It it just makes absolutely no sense when you've only got five seconds. Cause at that point it's either get in or we're going into the locker room uh, with the same score. You know, you kick that field goal now. Hindsight being 2020, you you kick that field goal, you probably win the game. You know, because you're going to get the ball back second half. You got a little bit of momentum from that field goal, but you know, in turn, you actually end up not getting any points whatsoever. And the Bengals go into into locker room pumped up. They're excited. They're like, we we just prevented them from winning this game in the first half. So their their spirits are up. They feel like they've got a shot now. Whereas you're Kansas City, you're like, what did we do wrong? What could we have done better? Why did we do this? And, and you start to put these doubts into your head. And as you mentioned it, from that second half on, Patrick Mahomes was a different quarterback. And you know, people are blaming, pointing the fingers at Patrick. Some people are pointing at Andy Reid. And, and I think it's a culmination of, of really, we got to point the finger at everybody because yeah. that team looked completely different in the second half from what we saw that first half. You know, the Mahomes getting down scrambling. Uh, it just wasn't working anymore. And he. it's not like he didn't have time. There was several instances where I'm sitting there watching him, and I'm like, this guy's got 20 seconds to throw the ball. He just could not find anybody open. Yeah. And kudos to, to the Bengals, man. They did a really good job at not just – locking up the receivers, but sticking with them and, and not, you know, not letting the pay, uh play break down uh, even though Mahomes had it seemed like forever most times um, in the backfield. And then they really did a number on shutting down the running attack. Um, they prevented Mahomes from, you know, gaining yards with his legs, which he was doing an outstanding job of in the first half. And it just completely shifted momentum. Um, and listen, I, I, you know, before the game, we were doing our pick show and, I took the Bengals uh, plus seven and and a half and, and I'll be completely honest with you, even though I thought, and I said on the show that I thought it was going to be a close game. I didn't give a chance of winning this game. I really didn't. I thought that they'd keep it close, but I still thought that there was a way that this chiefs team was going to win at least by a touchdown. The only reason I took the Bengals in all reality was because of that hook. And, you know, it just goes to show you that, especially in the playoffs, it, kind of like the Giants, you know, when they beat the Patriots in that Super Bowl, you can't count anybody out at, you know, this deep in the playoffs. Everybody's got a shot.
0: Yeah. You know, it, it, it sort of played out to, um, you know, I, I want to give the Bengals credit, but it, it's not even like in the second half offensively, they went out and seized uh, this game. They sort of done what they had done all playoffs and be opportunistic on mistakes, you know, from the Kansas city chiefs. You, you, look at that kickoff at half chiefs, get the ball, they putt. So, you know, you're thinking, yeah, bingles come back, they get the ball, they putt. Then the chiefs punt again, bingles kick a field goal. It's 2113 going into the fourth quarter. I, I don't even think at that point, anybody's going, yeah, uh, you know, we're in danger time here. Uh, then you get that weird, uh, Patrick Mahomes interception where he, basically just throws the screens pass straight into the, you know, defensive linemen, Uh And that's where the Bengals get their touchdown. Uh, you know, five plays, 27 yards. Opportunistic game tied 21-21. And then basically in the fourth quarter, neither of these teams uh, played all that well. You got the Chiefs, uh, you know, interception, three plays minus two yards, uh, three plays minus four yards, and then that field goal to tie the game, but, Uh, The Bengals got that touchdown off the interception. Their next series was at Joe Burrow interception. Granted, the Chiefs couldn't do anything with it. Uh, Next time down the field uh, to sort of take the lead in that game, it was an 11-play, 46-yard drive for the field goal. But if you remember early in that series, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs linebacker had a chance to grab that pick where he was on the ground, and that's game over for the Bengals. And then... The Chiefs go right down the field, uh, you know, 14 plays, uh, 50 yards. And then they get right on the goal line again, and Patrick Mahomes twice. Uh, just starts you mentioned it scrambling back there like a psychopath not throwing the ball away uh not running forward and taking you know sack sack almost fumbling the game away right there on the thing uh luckily Bucker kicked it and then you go into the overtime uh three plays interception chiefs uh you know nine plays 42 yards for the field goal for the Bengals to win it it, it I will say, uh, the Bengals' defense really, really did step up in the second half. If you're getting anybody credit, it's the Bengals' second-half defense. But honestly, I just don't know what happened to the Chiefs in that second half. I, I mean, it was just bizarre how they were probably gaining 10 yards of play in that first half. Second half, they were going backwards every single drive.
1: Yeah, listen, it was it was a little perplexing, especially when you look at the way that game played out. You're talking about two teams that had really potent offenses, you know, big star wide receivers like, uh, you know, Jamar Chase and Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey and Boyd and, and Higgins. And you, so you got so many different weapons on the side of the ball. And in reality, the stars of this game were both defenses, you know, Kansas City. Uh, Their defense did a pretty good job that first half. I completely shut down the Bengals. Uh, They had a little bit more trouble in that second half. But realistically speaking, it's all because of the lack of offense from Kansas City. You know, as you mentioned, they start off the second half after that, you know, no score um, drive that before the half ended. And you had three scoring plays that were unanswered by uh, by the Chiefs. You had a field goal by Cincinnati. Then you had a touchdown. Then you had another field goal. And the only thing that Kansas City could muster up was a field goal to tie the game and take it to overtime. But then you go into overtime, and Patrick Mahomes comes out, three straight plays out of the shotgun before he yeah. threw that interception. I don't understand why there wasn't more of a balance. You're talking about it's a completely different game in overtime. Overtime, you start over. You stay balanced again. And I understand that they wanted to win that game. You know, they, they their, um, their Twitter page, they went ahead and tweeted out, that they won the coin toss. Yeah, now go out and win the game. Okay. It's not just about the coin toss all the time. Um and, and realistically speaking, as you mentioned, it this can this this Kansas City offense just completely choked. And, and their defense tried their best to keep him in the game, but realistically speaking, it, it was it was on the offense. And I don't know whether it was the play calling, which I I I have an inkling it was a play calling because, like I said, three straight shotgun plays for Patrick Mahomes when you run the ball pretty well. And not just that, you run the ball pretty well with Mahomes as well. Yeah. Why not throw in, you know, a, a few sneaky plays? This this is overtime in the championship game. Winner goes to the Super Bowl. Why not put all your cards on the table and, and see where it goes from there? Uh, you had nothing to lose. You yeah, had nothing to lose and everything to gain. Um, but listen, you know, kudos to to Cincinnati. They stepped up big. Um, and the offense did enough to to help that team uh make it to the Super Bowl. And this is why they're the AFC champions now. And now Kansas City's sitting at home pointing fingers at who's to blame here.
0: Yeah, uh, you mentioned it and touched on it. You must have read my mind. But the Kansas City Chiefs ran the ball 24 times for 139 yards. That's 5.8 yards a carry. McKinnon, 12 carries, 65 yards. edwards Hilaire, who broke off a couple good runs there, six carries, 36 yards. You know, I I just don't understand, uh, especially, you know, I I looked up some nerdy stuff, and the Bengals dropped eight people back in the, uh, you know, field. Uh ninety percent of the time. If they're dropping eight and you're and you're running six yards of carry, you just gotta balance that out. There was a reason why Mahomes had all day, because they were rushing three, sometimes maybe four guys, and everybody was standing out there in the outfield and Mahomes was just dancing around. I thought they should have run the ball more, and I, I just don't understand. I get it if it wasn't successful. And you have Mahomes and you have Hill and Kelsey. But, I mean, that running game was chewing them up. McKinnon and Edward Teller were both on point on that day.
1: Listen, at some point, you have to look at the way the game is playing out. You know, football is one of those weird sports where you do kind of have to go based off what you're seeing in the moment. And look at Patrick Mahomes, the entire second half. And now, mind you, this is the second half in overtime, but he had a 12.3 passer rating. 12.3, 12.3, Patrick Mahomes, you know, one of the front runners for the MVP award, you know, probably in a lot of people's opinions, the best quarterback in the league, the most exciting quarterback in the league. And you look at that first half and some of the throws you were making were completely amazing. The way he was just scrambling, getting that extra time, being able to get that first down. He looked amazing in that first half. And then you look at that second half, it doesn't look like the same player. You know, you've had success running the ball. As you mentioned it, these guys are trying to get pressure on you with three guys, four guys, sometimes, why aren't you? Why aren't you being balanced? Why aren't you running the ball more? You know, even if it's a screen, something. Try to throw this defense off balance. Make him sack the box a little bit more. Uh, I, I don't understand the way they called it. Uh, well, all I can say is that Cincinnati, Cincinnati defensive coordinator must have seen something, and he probably figured, you know what? Let him beat us with his feet. Let the running attack beat us. We're not going to let Patrick Mahomes with his arm beat us. And, and listen, it, it worked. It yeah. worked. It's plain and simple. That's all. That's all we can say. It was a horrible second half for Kansas City. Um, it was a great year for them overall, but uh, definitely not the way you wanted to end it.
0: Yeah, you know what this? It reminded me of a little bit. Is uh, I think it was two thousand and ten. The Lakers played the Celtics, and uh, the the defensive strategy of the Celtics in that uh, game seven was basically we're going to put two on Kobe. Cause Kobe's going to want to win this game himself and he's going to shoot it no matter how many people are on him. Uh, you know, now that being said, Kobe uh, took the bait and piece. did it for three fourths of those games. And basically they won that game because of Paul Gessel and uh, Ron Artest. Uh, you know, that's a big Spaniard, baby. That's probably a different fight for a different day. Why Paul didn't win the MVP there. But uh, I, it, it sort of reminded me of that. It, it was like, We're going to drop our whole team back out there, cover, and they aren't going to want to run. They're going to want to run their little fun stuff, and Patrick Mahomes is not going to be able to resist and just be able to hand the ball off, hand the ball off, and put this game away because, honestly, if they had just handed the ball off, they probably wouldn't have had those turnovers, and it wasn't like the Bengals' offense was free-flowing and, you know, jacking up yards. You mentioned it, Jamar Chase, six catches, 54 yards Uh, You know, P. Ryan had that one big run. Uh, Higgins was really, really good. Uh, But, you know, Mixon, eh, 21 carries, 88 yards, four yards a carry. I I mean, Burrow wasn't even all that great, great. 23 for 38, 250, two touchdowns and a pick. It it, it just sort of, they sort of goaded the Chiefs into wanting to do their fancy stuff. And it, it just seemed like they got out of rhythm. And Cincinnati, who... You know, one of these teams seems to pop up like every 10 to 15 years in the NFL. You're not sure how they won three straight playoff games. Uh, You know, it took basically two goal line stands in two of the games. And uh, Ryan hit Tannehill to throw a pick as uh, the Titans are driving down for the game winning field goal. But all of a sudden they're in the Super Bowl with a chance to win it here. Uh, But, you know, kudos to Cincinnati. But, uh, you know, I, I look at this game and I'm like, the Chiefs are the reason the Cincinnati Bengals won this game.
1: Listen, and not to to take, you know, too much away from the Cincinnati defense here, but you look at, you know, the targets here for these, uh, for the wide receiver, for the uh, skill guys on the outside. And between Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill, they had, I believe, 21 total targets out of the 39 pass attempts that Patrick Mahomes took. Um, It was
0: a little bit like that Packers game where uh, Rogers just got, you know, sonar in and through every past Devonte Adams. And it was like, yeah.
1: And, and listen, you know, not to say these guys aren't talented. They're obviously really talented, but how many, how many catches did Tyreek have in that second half and in overtime?
0: I, I think he had maybe one zero. He had zero. He didn't have,
1: he didn't. I mean, I could be wrong, but based off what I was looking at, he didn't have a catch in that second half.
0: I, I think the one I'm thinking of, he had that carry, Uh off of a, a play, but it might've been Hardman. I, I know they ran something tricky with a wide receiver, but I, I think you're right. I don't think he had a catch in the second half.
1: You know, and and, it, and it's not like he wasn't targeted. He was definitely targeted. And I think one of those targets actually led to an interception. Yeah. Uh, I, I believe it was the That's the, 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 play, had,
0: the interception. They were throwing that screen pass to Hill. That's where I, 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 I remember they were setting up that screen pass for Hill mahomes forced you know the ball through five cincinnati defenders hits the defensive lineman in the gut four plays later cincinnati's in the end zone for a touchdown to tie
1: it now listen it's hard to really you know blame um you know mahomes for wanting to go after these guys obviously they're super talented you saw in the first half how they were basically shredding that cincinnati defense between kelsey and and hill it's just it was it was just it looked like I remember playing, you know, a game called fight night uh, back with my brother boxing game. And every now and then I I got so good at the game that uh, basically what I would do is I would let him fight with a heavyweight and I would go down to a featherweight. Um, And that's the only way that we could balance it out. But this is the thing. If we had two people of, you know, equal talent level playing that game and you get one guy with a heavyweight and one guy with a lightweight, it's not even close. And that's what it felt like in that first half. So for the outcome to end up the way it did, I got to say, it was shocking. Even for someone who made money off the game, it was shocking.
0: Yeah. Uh, I, I just did body punches to handicap myself. <laughs> I'd always be Roberto Duran and only throw body punches and see if I could win matches. Uh, hit stick, baby. Panama, it's all about people. the hit stick. All right. Uh, anything else on the Cincinnati-Kansas City game? Uh, other than no. does Cincinnati ever return to a Super Bowl? <laughs>
1: Listen, you know the the talk of the town right now is uh, Joe Burrow and how uh, Chuck Norris crumbles with fear when when he steps into uh, the same state as uh, as he. And listen, it's all it's all fun and games and everything, but they've earned this. They've earned their their ticket to the playoffs. They they had a really tough route. You know they had to go up as the number one team with the Tennessee Titans. They beat them. You know then they had to go up against uh, the, you know the, Best the team. Raiders. Was it? The Raiders in the first round, yeah. So, so I mean, they played the Raiders, who was, you know, obviously that was probably a much easier matchup than than you know they could have had otherwise. But they had to face the number one seed, and they had to face the number two seed. Uh, I don't think that there's a tougher route in the AFC than going up against you know uh, the Titans and then the Chiefs afterwards. So, um, kudos to them; they're in the Super Bowl now. That's all that matters. That's all that should matter to anybody, uh, any, any Cincinnati fan, the Houdet Nation. That's all that matters. You guys are in the in the Super Bowl now. And regardless of the outcome, which we'll get into that next week, um, regardless of the outcome, you will always have this moment. You guys beat, you know, the top quarterback in the league. You guys beat the top team in the AFC. And you guys are going to the Super Bowl with your second-year quarterback. Yeah, I mean, that's awesome.
0: All right, uh, let's move to a game uh, that was riddled with interesting coaching. Um, Somehow it managed to be coached worse than the uh, chiefs Spingles game, but uh, nonetheless, uh, all is written off when you come out a winner and the Rams came out a winner on a a, a nice uh, game-winning kick and then game-winning stop. I, I don't know if we quite put it at that. I don't know what that last drive... Technically was for the 49ers, but uh, we'll go with stop. Uh,
1: It was gold, baby. It was gold.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I don't think anybody sat there and was like, yeah, Jimmy's going to lead him here. He's been on point the whole time. But uh, this one got off interesting as in it it was sort of playing out the typical Rams way. Rams are dominating the game. 49ers are winning the game here. Uh, You know. I I thought it basically started with the uh, terrible interception by Stafford as they drove down there uh, right on the goal line. I I think that sort of flipped all the momentum. Uh, Granted, uh, I I will say the Rams' defense, uh, if there was ever a day they finally stepped up and played you know, massive, massive football. It was this day they shut down the San Francisco run, uh, which really came back to play in that uh, second half uh, when Shanahan, for some reason, totally abandoned it in that four, fourth quarter and uh, was just said, Jimmy G, go win us this game. And uh, sadly, uh, Jimmy couldn't win that game for him. And uh, Stafford made a handful of really good throws uh, or. Cooper Cup was really really good I think would be my actual uh, assessment of this but uh you know not a lot to sort of break down here in the uh first half uh I I mentioned the interception on the goal line Debo broke you know his you know typical big play here uh Matt Gay missed a field goal again. That has to be uh, starting to be concerning uh, in the uh, Super Bowl here uh, because he's come up, I think, short twice now on 40-yarders, which is a little bit weird. But uh, nonetheless, uh, right before half, uh, 49ers get a field goal 10-7. I don't think there was anything all that worried about, but uh, I I think Total momentum was lost, and uh, I, I think this is where the coaching really, really got weird. Uh, Rams were driving it down, uh, third down and short. Uh, they go empty and run. I, I don't quite even know what the play was. Uh, I, I guess that was the, supposed to be my flag. Sorry. <laughs> I guess theoretically uh, it was a football play, uh, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. Uh, it got messed up. And then on, they choose to go for it on fourth down. I don't hate the decision, uh, but they do the thing that they've uh, sort of done, and they just try to grind it up the middle with Stafford. Uh, he's nowhere close, and then your boy McVeigh uh, decides to challenge the spot, which they got a beneficial spot anyway, uh, and they still didn't get it, uh, not to mention I think in the history of challenges, challenging a spot on a half-yard play has been successful probably, I don't know, 0% of the time. Uh, and next thing you know, uh, Niners get the ball 17-7, and it was looking a little bleak uh, really at that point. So what would you make of that sort of first really, really interesting co- coaching decision in that first half?
1: Listen, you pretty much nailed it on the head. The, the game was going pretty much how all Ram games against the 49ers went this year, which except for that first game, which was a complete obliteration. But, you know, you look back at week 18 and the Rams actually had a lead going into the half at that at that particular moment. Or I, was, I don't know if it was a lead, but I remember that it looked like they were the more dominant team. Uh, and then they just completely fell off the rails and the Niners ended up coming back and they won that game. And listen, I gave it to them. I handed it to them. They they were more physical. They wanted that win a lot more. They coached a lot better. Uh, and, and that says a lot, especially because uh, Sean McVay has definitely had his blunder so far this season. But I think overall, a lot of people just assume he's a good coach and he does a pretty good job of play calling and clock management. But for some reason, when he goes up against the 49ers team, he always seems to struggle and makes bonehead decisions. Now I'm not calling him a bonehead because we ended winning the game. So coach McVay. Yeah. But um, yeah, listen, I, I even, I have to admit I had to revert back to my EA Madden days with my brother, my, my brother, who's a big 49er fan. Of course he was sending me all the things on Snapchat. Like, Oh man, great play. Oh yeah. You know, just rubbing it in. So I reverted back to our Madden days when uh, he would take a big lead And it looked like there was no way I was going to catch up to him. And I'd start conceding the game pretty much early on. And he knew exactly what I was doing. So when I started sending messages on Snapchat, and I think I sent a few to you as well, uh, he wasn't falling for it. He wasn't even responding. He just completely stayed quiet. Uh, And, of course, at the end of the game, when the Rams ended up winning the game, he uh, sent me a a message saying, of course, you had to revert back to your pity pity rules. And... Listen, it was it was a grinded out game. It was gritty, it was nasty, it was ugly. That's exactly how you want a divisional matchup to go, let alone a championship uh you know game. And this is this is NFC West football right here. This is exactly what it is. It's two teams that hate each other, two cities that basically have a, a disdain for each other, two fan bases that really don't like each other. Just going at it, a really physical game. You saw a lot of big hits, a lot of big plays. Some plays that were let's just say a little dirty, uh, probably on both sides, more so on one than the other. I'm not going to get into that. But at the end of the day, the Rams were the better team. And I I think that if you were going to win, you know, a a ticket, a chance to go to the Super Bowl, I don't think there's a better way to do it than to beat the team that's had your number over the last three seasons – the team that basically swept through this whole year, the team that was uh, riding high with momentum and swagger uh, coming out with the boom box, calling your home stadium, you know, Levi South, you know, uh, and I don't blame them. They, they, their fan base did a great job at filling up that stadium, but listen, man, those Rams, they, they, they're built for this kind of situation, man. It's what they're built for.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to give Matthew Stafford a little credit uh, on really the sort of drive that I think turned uh, this game before I sort of hammer him uh, for decision-making later in the game. But uh, that touchdown, uh, that was probably the best drive by either team the whole game, right at the end of the third quarter, right uh, at the beginning of the fourth quarter, where they went seven plays, 75 yards. Uh, Now, a a lot of that was Cooper Cup. Uh, But I thought that was Matthew Stafford's probably best drive I've ever, best and most clutch drive I've ever seen him. Because I think if they punt the ball back to the Niners there at 17-7, you know, with the Rams at that point only having one timeout, uh, we'll get into the uh, wasting of the next timeout coming up because I think that's the true uh, flipping of this whole game. But, you know, I, I thought that drive right at the end of the third quarter, right at the start of the fourth, probably was what you put on the tape for Matthew Stafford, uh, really what you put on the tape for Cooper Cup here because he made a couple of nice, nice catches, nice, nice routes, including uh, that 11-yard touchdown pass uh, on third and one uh, where they, uh, once again, uh, called a a fade route on third and one. Uh, Granted, it worked out this time. But uh, anyway, I I thought that was Matthew Stafford's probably greatest drive he'd ever had in his career right at the end of the third, right at the start of the fourth to make it 17, 14.
1: Now, listen, I, I think it goes without question. here. Everybody knows how great Cooper cup has been this year, but I don't, I still don't think that the guy gets enough credit for what an amazing year he's had. Um, I, I believe that he surpassed Larry Fitzgerald in, you know, yards in the season with the playoffs included. And everyone knows He's going to go to him. Everyone knows that he's the guy, yet they can't stop it. I mean, he had what? Um, 11 catches, 142 yards, two, two touchdowns, touchdowns on 14 targets. Yeah. That's just insane. In a in a conference championship game against a team that knows. Listen, he's had success against the Steiners team. We we talked about it in the previous show. He's got over 100 yards in both games against the Niners team and they still won the game. I think the key difference in this particular matchup was the defense. You know, the Niners team is a very physical team, but Jimmy G is not going to lead them to victory. This team is going to win by playing solid defense and running the ball. This is what they're built like, you know, and you look at at Mitchell's average. He ran the ball 11 times for 20 yards. That's a 1.8 average per rush. You can't win football games like that. And and that's not on him. He's a good player. This is on the Rams' defense. They completely, you know, honed in on him, and they were like, "We are not going to let him beat us." You know, Debo Samuel's going to do his thing because the guy's a monster. Love him, hate him, doesn't matter. The guy's a beast. Uh, I'd love to have him on my team. Um, now, obviously, I wouldn't trade him for the guys we have now because I love the chemistry we've got right now. Odell Beckham, huge. But
0: we talked about how he got had- Jefferson for him. I like Van
1: Jefferson. I think he's got a lot of potential, uh, but Devo Sam is a better player. Right? <laughs> but listen, stop, stop stop getting me off topic here, okay? I'm trying to I'm, I'm trying you're to relive the GM moment.
0: Trained. you're willing to <laughs> go well, listen? Jefferson. We could we
1: could talk about that during the offseason, okay? I think I think Van Jefferson would be uh, completely satisfied if I were to tell him, "Hey, how about we get you a Super Bowl ring, and then you know we'll send you off somewhere else where you can be the guy." I think he'd go for it, but listen, uh, again, this defense played outstanding. They did a really good job. They, and this is probably the best game that Garoppolo has had during this whole playoff run. And, you know, they were really close to, to pulling it off, but ultimately that Rams defense was just a little bit too much for him.
0: Yeah. Uh, Now I'm going to get into the series or sort of combo series that really, I think flipped this game. And, uh, I, I don't know. The coaches from here on out seem to be uh, sort of trying to one-up each other for poor decision-making. <laughs> uh, the Niners get the ball back off that touchdown. Uh, you know, start driving it down. Get the ball to, uh, the I, I think, about the 45-yard line of the Rams. It's third and two. Uh, they run that weird play with checks up the middle. I don't hate it, uh, but, you know, that might be a time where Debo Samuel should probably have the ball in his hands here on third and two. Uh, but I guess the ball comes loose. If you want to call it that uh, it comes loose after he's laying on the ground for 25 minutes with a ball on the ground. Uh, but third and two at the 45, your boy Sean McVay challenges that loses his last time out. I, I know at that point you were probably ready to set Los Angeles on fire or at least uh, getting ready uh, to replace uh, the coach there. But uh, then I I, I, I just don't understand why Shanahan then didn't go for it on the fourth and two of the Rams' 45. He chose to punt the ball. They punt the ball 35 yards to the 15 yard line. They essentially gained 20 yards of field position there. I, I just, I don't understand that, uh, you're a team that's based on being able to get those sort of yardage and, and creativity plays, uh, you know, fourth and two from the 45. Eh, I think you got to go for it there. And, and then the real play that sort of swings, I, I think everything, uh, Stafford, uh, does his maneuver where he just skies a ball straight up in the middle of the field, uh, basically, I think, on purpose to a San Francisco 49ers player. Uh, It's hard. (laughs) He drops the ball uh, on possibly the most easiest interception I've ever seen in my life. Uh, Technically, it was to the aforementioned Van Jefferson, uh, but he was about 40 yards down the field, uh, nowhere to be found. (laughs) And he drops it. Next play, Odell Beckham catches a 25-yard pass, 15-yard penalty, probably out of frustration there. And the Rams are basically in field goal range two plays later on that. Kick the field goal and go for it. But that's the sequence, I think, that totally flipped this. I do think the sort of punt decision on fourth and two from the 45, but that interception there... This is why I I sort of don't love, you know, giving quarterbacks and everybody credit. Uh, You know, you've won five Super Bowls. You're the greatest ever. If that guy catches that interception, everybody's getting out the torches for Matthew Stafford, and we all hate him, and now he's the conquering hero who left the Lions and led him to the Super Bowl. It's basically one play where a guy drops an easy interception, and where he's a hero, he's a goat. It's all just on that play. But I, I I can't tell you how much I thought the game swung there. Fourth down, punt the ball, interception dropped, and then 25-yard catch to Beckham, 15-yard personal foul penalty. Uh, then I thought the Niners did a good job holding them to a field goal. But uh, nonetheless, we'll get into those last two drives. But that sequence... You got the McVay ridiculous challenge. You got the fourth down decision. You got the interception and then the Beckham catch with the penalty. Uh, That was just a hell of a sequence there that basically was the deciding factor in this game.
1: Well, listen, there was definitely a lot of questionable calls in this game uh, from both sides of the ball uh, and both teams here. And I understand people's frustrations with all that, but let me, let me turn into an offensive lineman here and try to, kind of protect my quarterback and throw a jab straight here real quick. Um, yes, people, I've heard it all week long. You know, if, if Jack, we start to get that interception, you know, the Niners win the game. Listen, the Niners weren't doing anything on offense. Okay. The Rams offense was actually moving the ball. They were actually having success against this, you know, uh stout 49ers defense, which I totally give them credit for. They ha- they're having really good defense, but the Rams were having success run the ball. They're having success throwing the ball. And They were remaining balanced. If he gets that interception, there's still 10 minutes left in the game. Your offense has done absolutely nothing in that second half. Who's to say that you're not just going to go three and out and punt the ball again. You know, people are assuming that just because you get an interception, it automatically gives you a touchdown. And if that's the case, there was a couple of interceptions that Ramsey dropped. So are we going to count those two and say that we would have scored a touchdown off of those interceptions? You know, the game of football it's literally, we always say it's a game of inches and it really is. It really is a game of inches. It's a game of missed opportunities. It's a game of bad calls and bad challenges. And, and listen, it's part of what makes this game. Beautiful is that one, one little you know sliver of, of hope can make a team completely turn a game around one small mistake can completely turn your year around. And and it it almost felt like it at one point, but I don't think that this game was, you know, lost for the Niners on that dropped interception. I think that game was lost on the fact that they just could not run the ball. They could not do what they did the previous two times when they beat the Rams, which was keep converting third downs. uh, Keep converting first downs on third. And and that's, that's what they've been known for. They play good defense. They get turnovers. They run the ball. Debo Samuel comes out, gets seven yards, you know, Mitchell comes back and he gets a first down on third down and they just keep driving the ball, tiring out the defense. That's their formula for winning. It's not, you know, Jimmy G this is his best game he had in this playoff run, as I mentioned, and it really wasn't even that great. You know, you're talking about 232 yards, two touchdowns and interception. I believe those were the first two touchdowns he's thrown the entire playoffs.
0: Yeah. They were also off Debo Samuel baking a swing pass (laughs) and doing all the work. It wasn't like he launched it 50 yards down the field.
1: Yeah. Listen, again, you know, points are guaranteed just because you get a turnover and and yes, it definitely would have shifted momentum. But I think that this Rams team, they knew what they were going to get out of the 49ers, you know, and they had a lot of fans in that stadium. They were really loud but in turn so were the Ram fans that were in that stadium as well. Uh, I've never heard such small portions of fans cuz let's just say I mean it's probably closer to 45-55 as far as attendance it was concerned. But let's just say it was 50-50. Kudos to the 49er fans. They were loud when when they're, you know, when the Rams were on offense. But so were the Rams and it really became almost like a neutral site game. And and I think that's going to be the case for most of these bigger stadiums. You know, we've talked about it countless times. These uh, travel destinations like, um, you know, SoFi and AT&T Stadium, these places, it's just how it's going to be. These are travel destinations. This is what we're going to get. But uh, again, I don't want to put too much emphasis on that dropped interception by Tart because I feel like there was still too much time on the clock. And and it almost felt for Ram fans in in general that we were destined to win this game. And uh, I know obviously that, you know, there's a bunch of stuff that comes into play, but I just had that feeling, especially in that fourth quarter, um, to overcome, you know, a 10 point deficit to come back and win the game, uh, was pretty outstanding, but I know there's some more plays you want to get into. So I'll go ahead and let, yeah. i let you talk a little bit.
0: Well, at that point, uh, Sean McVay a- appeared to be trying to burn down the ship there, but the Rams defense, uh, and key plays on offense stepped up and kept them in it. But, uh, Here's where I, I think Kyle Shanahan decided to uh, bring gasoline on the uh, poor coaching fire. Uh, you, you know, we talked about that interception leads to the tying field goal 17-17. You know, you're reset. And really, I, I think if you told the 49ers this is 17-17 uh, with six minutes to go and the Rams have no timeouts, I, I think they take that all day long. But... Uh, You mentioned they weren't able to run the ball uh, all that well, but this is where I question it. I I don't think that means you abandoned it, and you certainly don't abandon it uh, where the Niners get the ball back off that field goal. First and 10 from the 25. Garoppolo, shotgun, incomplete pass. Penalty, shotgun again, delay of game. Uh, Second and 15, shotgun, incomplete pass. 3rd and 15, shotgun, Garoppolo, incomplete pass. You're not under center or doing anything, anything that makes the San Francisco 49ers uh, offense a success at all. Three straight shotgun passes, technically four straight if you count the delay a game, uh, and, and it's three plays, minus five yards, 23 seconds off the clock to a team that had no timeouts. I, you could have kneeled the ball down it two minutes off the damn clock. <laughs> Listen,
1: you go. It, it, it plays exactly the way that the Ram Tampa Bay game played out. The Rams were having very little success run the ball, but they had the advantage by actually having the offense on the field. And what did Sean McVay do? Some people are saying, "Pass the ball, pass the ball." You can pass. No, run the ball. You got to run this clock. You got to leave as little time as possible. You know, you don't. You don't want to give any team any quarterback the ball back with you know plentiful time for them to to work uh, their offense the way they normally do you want to make it as tough and as complicated as possible for them and and you're right san francisco did a really poor job they should have been running the ball a little bit more even though they weren't having success they lost all balance and guess what happened the Rams knew what they were going to do
0: yeah uh, Rams get the ball back uh, and, and really uh, the biggest play of the game that third and three on the San Francisco 37 uh, Cooper Cup uh, makes a ridiculous catch and route uh, for 25 yards Rams are in business they, they sort of stall out I, I thought they got a little too conservative too uh, I, I think that's where they ran that screen pass on third down and I'm like yeah uh, uh, I, I wouldn't much can... prefer a run at that point. I know I, I'm. I was like uh, are we trying to you know put the kicker out there who's kicked two balls short in the last two days make it tougher for him yeah uh they get the kick and then you know once again uh granted at this point the Niners didn't have a ton of time left 146 uh but shotgun Jimmy Garoppolo shotgun Jimmy Garoppolo uh shotgun Jimmy Garoppolo interception game over it, it, those last two drives, Jimmy Garoppolo was in shotgun six times, did not complete a pass, and threw an inter- interception. Uh, and then the other thing: how many times do you think Debo Samuel touched the ball after the uh, ten-minute mark of the fourth quarter?
1: I would say maybe
0: twice. He touched it zero times after the ten-minute mark of the fourth quarter. That <laughs> it's almost honestly, like we're like we're replay the Kansas City game. a direct game. snap and running up the middle. You have to get the ball in that guy's hands. We talked about it on Sunday. He literally breaks a big play against the Rams every time. I just... You can sort of question Kyle Shanahan and his play calling in late-game situations. He collapsed in that Atlanta Falcons Super Bowl versus the New England Patriots, where he was the offensive coordinator. That Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl, he was up late in that, and they collapsed. And in this game, I... I don't want to go an all in all-in-out collapse here, uh, but they certainly left plays, time, and points on the table for the Rams to make plays and get going. Uh, and I once again, I want to credit the Rams' defense. Uh, that defensive line was, you know, ridiculously uh, outstanding, uh, shutting down that running game. But uh, I thought Kyle Shanahan just really, really poor job. I don't even put this all on Jimmy. He. You know, he, he protected Jimmy for two straight games. And then those last two series, he puts him in terrible, terrible positions there where the Rams can just pin their ears back and hammer him.
1: Yeah. Listen, if there's one team that you probably don't want to, um, you know, basically show your hand, tip your hand, as far as that you're just going to kind of stay back there and try and pass the ball. It's definitely this Rams team. Cause they can pin, as you mentioned, they can pin the ears back and get after the quarterback. They got some of the best pass rushers in the league, but Listen, I I have to say, you know, I do have to say kudos to to Jimmy Garoppolo uh, because I I think that everybody, including himself, were aware that this was probably, you know, if they didn't advance, this was probably his last uh, game as a 49er, uh, barring them, you know, obviously keeping him, which is highly unlikely with them moving up in the draft to get their young quarterback. But for him to come out and and show the kind of poise that he did, I, I think there's definitely some credit to be had there. But as you mentioned it. This 49ers team is tough, man. They are tough, but their biggest Achilles heel, their biggest issue is what I've been talking about all year long with them. They can't close out games. Now they went on a nice little stretch after that first Ram game when they won, where they were actually having some success closing out games, but it it happened again in the playoffs and it, you know, it is the worst time for it to happen, but it did happen. And, and they couldn't close this game out. They were ahead by 10 points going into the fourth quarter. You know, you're talking about a team that's already throwing interception, a team that's not running the ball well. You know, this 49er team gave up over 60 yards rushing one time this year. Uh, that was to Travis Homer, I believe, of the Seattle Seahawks. And that's because he broke off a big run on a fake punt. This This team, this defense is stout. So you were going to have issues running against them. Even with all that said, you're, you're up 10 points. You've got a really good defense. You know, you got some pretty good weapons on offense and you get to the point where now you're trying to tie the game, uh, you know, with a minute 40 left or whatever uh, to lead you into overtime, not the position you want to be in. You don't want to have the ball in Jimmy G's hands. And again, not to trash him, not to trash talk. Him. I give him a lot of credit for, you know, standing up the way he did and playing the way he did, but that's not, that's not the type of scenario you want to be in if you're a 49er.
0: Yeah, definitely so. But uh, Rams get the win and go to the Super Bowl, your second one in uh, four years, I believe. Uh, hopefully we aren't going to get a 10-3, uh, diabolical sham of a Super Bowl. Uh, that would be preferred. A couple touchdowns would be nice. Uh, can you guarantee me that?
1: Uh, listen, I, I can't guarantee anything. Uh, you know how I am. I'm, I'm really weird when it comes to uh, you know throwing bets out there or anything like that when it comes to my team. But I, I will say this. I do, I do feel like it's going to be a high-scoring game. Uh, I hope, I hope that it's entertaining game for everybody. Uh, at least the fan, the NFL fan in me, wants it to be entertaining Super Bowl for everybody because we've had a really good playoffs. Um, the I think you know maybe the wild card round wasn't that great, but there was a few good games there, and then the uh, divisional round was awesome. The conference games were awesome. And now it would be a bit of a letdown if the Super Bowl was entertaining. But as a Ram fan, I hope it's a boring, boring, boring Super Bowl. I hope that it's completely one-sided and everyone wants to turn their TVs off early uh, because that will probably mean uh, that Achilles will be happy uh, all year long. But um, listen, I hope we get a good Super Bowl. That's all I hope for.
0: Yeah, definitely so. All right, we got the review in the books. We got some NFL news in the books. Uh, We got our Super Bowl prop contest coming up. The link will be in the details below. Be sure to sign up for that. We'll have our Super Bowl prop show on Wednesday and then our preview of the big Sunday game on Friday. You don't want to miss that. You don't want to miss any of our shows this week. Where can we find you, Achilles?
1: Uh, you can find me on Twitter at TD Achilles.
0: You can find us at Greenlight Network. Be sure to like and subscribe. That's our show. And we're out.